Last time on License to Parent. From our earthly perspective, we're looking at it and we're looking at just the pain. And we still find reasons to praise God when we praise Him for being with us. We praise Him for every blessing that still comes. I don't know how we're getting through this other than God getting us through every moment for the four and a half years that our child was abducted. That's Marie White. She found hope in spite of the fear, anxiety, anger, depression, and guilt. Today, part two of our conversation, finding strength for parents of missing children on License to Parent. Well, hello and welcome once again to License to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential facility for troubled teens. Our host on the program is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. Well, Trace, joining us uh, once again this week is Marie White. She was with us on last week's program. She's the author of several books, including the multiple award-winning number one bestseller, Strength for Parents of Missing Children, Surviving Divorce, Abduction, Runaways, and Foster Care. Incidentally, you can also find her on YouTube. She has a YouTube channel with over a million views uh, called Bible Stories for Adults. She's the director of publishing for Zami's Press, and uh, she really wants to encourage people from all walks of life experiencing a variety of struggles to know that there is hope. And today we want to dive in and look at more of the specifics about some of these abductions that she's written about. Well, Marie, I appreciate you coming back. Um, you know, it's it's been said that that doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, is a, is a sign of insanity. Uh, if my child comes up missing, does praying then make me insane? <laughs> no, and I think God does <laughs> says the exact opposite. He says to ask, to seek, to knock. Um, he also says that we're supposed to be like the widow before the dishonest judge, where we continue to be, you know, asking for justice, asking for justice, asking for justice. Mm-hmm. And um, when our child was returned to us after four and a half years, uh, earlier this um, this past year, since the year has changed, um, there was a question of that. And I described, you know, to our child what what we were doing in the meantime. And I said, you know, one of the things that we did is we prayed all the time. Mm. And to explain this to a young child, I said, well, it's almost like God has a cup up in heaven. And we kept praying until that cup was full. And when it was full, he dumped it out. And the answers to the prayer came. Mm. Uh, what's your counsel for the parents who don't know who took their child? I mean, uh, where their child is, how the child is doing, uh, why the child was taken. That to me... Well, I don't really know what would be more more painful, but all the unknowns yes. in that equation uh, is a different kind of pain, or am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right, and I do talk about that in there. Um, the biggest thing when you're when you're going through something like this and you don't know where your your child is, is that you have to hand the pain to God, and that is something we're not used to doing. Everything in our culture tells us that we're supposed to, you know, you know, do it on our own and positive thinking and this, that, and the other. And that's not what God asks us to do. Right. For me, I had to do it as a physical motion. I had to literally laying in bed praying, had to extend my hand in a fist out like I was handing something to God, like he was reaching down from the ceiling. And then I'd have to open my hand like I was handing it to him and just say, you right. have to take this because I don't know what to do with it. And every time I would feel myself ball up, I'd do that again. And it was uh-huh. like I was really handing it to him. I think there is something to that statement uh, in Scripture that I think Christ said it uh, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God. Uh, 
And the concept of uh, consecration and, and, and bowing, physically bowing before God, where you're using yeah. all your faculties, I think there's something to that. I don't know. I mean, I pray when I'm walking. You know, I go for my morning walks, I'm praying. And that's all good and, and, and fine. But there is definitely something about, you know, laying yourself flat out on the floor, yep. nose in the carpet. Yep. Uh, that's right. With my nose, my head's looking straight up when it, when it happens. But it's, <laughs> it's like... Uh, there is, I don't, I can't explain it. I think it's like you're giving everything to God. You're not just, yes. you know, um, going yes. at it with a half. It's the same thing when you're raising your hand at church, when you're raising your hand yeah. to a song. It's not about, look at me. It's not about, I'm doing something, you know, dancing or whatever. It's released. It's total mm-hmm. surrender. Yeah. I don't care how stupid I look. Lord, this is for you. I think God appreciates that. You know, the, the, the whole sackcloth yeah. and ashes thing, and you know, pouring dust yeah. on your head. You know, I'm not saying that's what you got to do, but I think the Lord looks at it and said, this guy's genuine. This lady's genuine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I don't know. Well, and I think what you guys just said, too, with the um, doing things over and over again, as you know, I know you both know this, you're not the same person. From the beginning of the journey that's to the true. end, so the prayers aren't the same. Right, that's true. true. And and what you're praying about isn't always the same. I think what we what we learn right. from this is that God does answer prayer. We mm-hmm. we know that He doesn't always yeah. answer it in the way that we expect, but He does answer prayer. So yeah. if we're praying about one thing and not getting an answer, later we may get an answer because the answer has changed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that He doesn't answer prayers. It yeah. means He answers it in the right way at the right time. He's so many squares ahead of us, and you know He 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 knows what we're really after when we're after. We might pray for a material thing, but He knows that we're really after some kind yeah. of spiritual thing, whether it's contentment or satisfaction or whatever. Marie, I've I've got a quick question just about kind of your physical process um, in in the aftermath of the abduction. And uh, again, we're trying not to uh, put out too much of the personal details about your situation, but your child uh, was returned to you uh, last year in 2019. And, um, you know, after that, did you, as a mom, become the super overprotective mom of you're walking down the aisle in the store or you're spending time with your child and you're looking around everywhere expecting some attack or abduction to take place? How have you been able to move past this now in interacting with your child? That has been a struggle, you know, for me to, to know where to go with that with God. And it's just constantly handing it to him and asking him what he wants me to do. The other day, a couple of weeks ago, I was at Walmart, and there was, I was by myself. Oh, all moms know what that feels like to go shopping by yourself in the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> and uh, looking through the aisles, actually finding things. And I, I heard a man next to me say, yes, you can go to the next aisle. I'll meet you there. And instinctively, as a mom, I was just like, excuse me? <laughs> I looked over to see the gentleman. I see him looking, you know, and then I looked to see who he's talking to. I see him looking at a daughter uh, around eight years old. And I see, you know, he kind of, he and I make contact. Like, you know, he's looking at me like, I know you're judging me. And I'm like, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, his daughter took off around the corner. Not a minute later, all of a sudden I hear, Chloe, Chloe, Chloe. Hmm. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I stop what I'm doing. I look over that the man's coming toward our aisle looking to see, you know, maybe I took her or something. I don't know. He's looking over here. And I just dropped what I was doing and said, I'll help you find her. And the two of us canvassed that store until we found her. 
It happens that quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it does. Um, there was a story a while back, I want to say a year or two ago maybe, um, about a free-range mom that got in all kinds of hot water. And I think she has a blog and mm-hmm. maybe even wrote a book about it. I'm not really sure. But uh, she would let her kid uh, uh, do some, uh, go, go places, I think maybe in the inner cities, and she didn't have a, a, a care in the world about it. And there was a big controversy about that. Uh, can you speak to that? Um, it, it's funny because it goes back to what you were talking about with the times that we live in. Parenting choices. I, I can't tell you in each situation what to do. If you live out in the country and you feel comfortable doing that, that might be totally fine. You live in, in a farm five miles away from the nearest house. But is it the same if you're in the inner city? But inner city people do it all the time. Yeah. Their kids walk home from school. They might take a subway in New York from their school to 20 miles away. I mean, it's absolutely insanity mm-hmm. the way parenting looks so different and we we have to look at each situation differently i I grew up in atlanta georgia and as a kid and i'm i'm 59 years old now but as a kid uh, i would get on the public transportation by myself and i'm talking about when Mm -hmm. i say you know 10 12 years old even and i would Mm -hmm. you know ride downtown ride to bucket whatever go you know go hang out with friends my parents always knew where i was going but they didn't accompany me everywhere and uh, right. and I look back at that because I've got five kids of my own now. They're mostly grown now, but I think there is no way in the world that I would do that today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, her claim, this lady's claim, if I remember right, was that the percentages are so slim that anything would happen that we we're getting too shook up about this. Um, and you say, I, I think you say- already said, but. <laughs> Yeah, as I said, we've already gone through, you guys already said some of the numbers for the number of abductions that are happening. Right mm-hmm. now, it's absolutely insane with all of the ring um, doorbell cameras, how many they're catching, people in stores, all mm-hmm. kinds of things. People just, I mean, women in stores with their baby in the cart, and a man just walks up and takes yeah. the baby. I mean, this is happening every day. Oh, I know. So it. the numbers are great. People are making interesting choices um, as far as their children and letting them, you know, go in different places. There are some things parents can do to ensure that their children have the best chance of not being abducted. Okay. And some of those things are when your child is going down the street to the neighbor's house, just stand at the door and watch them go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Take a moment from the day, put down the phone and go stand at the door, watch them go and know they're safe. That's well, it. Well, okay? you asked, a simple one. You asked the impossible, uh, put down the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we do get sucked into that. I totally get it, but, it, it is necessary. Yeah. Um, when you're sending them to someone's house, know who you're sending them to. Yes. Oh, Billy from school has invited me to go over to his house, or Nancy from school. Do you just let them go? Do you know where they live? Do you mm-hmm. know the parents? Do you know who's in the house? Do you know who the neighbor is? Is he a convicted pedophile? Yeah. I mean, our numbers may not be huge as to how many, you know, in your city, how many people are being abducted. But how many people are being sexually abused? That number is huge. Right, right, right. You know, 20 years ago, my daughter wanted to go to a friend's house from her Christian school, which is 30 miles from where we're at. Uh, And I wouldn't let her go until I had contacted the parents and found out where all their internet was at. Because, you know, they didn't have smartphones then, Mm -hmm. but they did have desktops. And and if the parents were going to be there, if there were filters, all that stuff. 
And man, I was like the goat of the school, you know, but I never met these mm-hmm. folks before. Christian, I don't care. The devil's a Christian. Uh, that doesn't, that doesn't impress me. Right. So mm-hmm. now I get little notes on, on my desk or my steering wheel, in my car, dad, you know, I thought there was a time I hated you or dad, thank you for not letting me do this. Dad, thank you for making me do that. So now my daughter's running a program as opposed to being in one. And I did it to sacrifice, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe a year of being her best friend but now I've I get to work with her for the rest of my life you know and in ministry no less and uh, I hope parents wow. could, could listen to that and and I've got you know like five kids and and you know in one way or another they've all been here my, my son obviously 10 and a half months old he he started this place really I, I can't go into the story but uh Anyway, you've got to be afraid to to to, to be the goat, uh, uh, to 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 you know do what you need to do to yes. to protect your kids. And this might sound like a silly question, but when when you realize that your child has been abducted by a strange person, uh, and let's say you saw that person grab your kid and and shove him in the van and took off, uh, generally speaking, what's the first thing you do? And that van is just getting smaller down the road. What, and you know, what do you, what do you do? Well, I think most people you you chase them. <laughs> You don't give up on your child so you, your legs can't run anymore. And then, of course, you're calling, you know, the police sure. to, to try and help you. Yeah. And that, what that's a always, But you know what's feeling. funny is, yes. I mean, as mama bear and papa bear, what would you do for your children? Anything. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you can't. And one of the places that they're getting children is from these, um, from games like Fortnite, Grand Theft Auto, sure. social media. Yeah. People are finding them that way. And so that's, the biggest way parents can make sure their children are safe. So let's just go with that scenario again. Um, obviously, nine one one is the first thing you do uh, when you realize you're not going to run the van. But w- what are some of the common emotions that come out of an experience like that? Um, and in addition to prayer, how are these emotions effectively dealt with? I can't see myself doing anything but something stupid at that point. <laughs> well, and that's something that's really a scenario you don't really um, think about when you're thinking of, you know, all of us have seen a news you know, story flash across where it's like, you know, child abducted or, mm-hmm. you know, someone kidnapped by somebody or whatever. And we always think, I know we all do it, if that were me, this is what I would do. And we play out the scenario in our head and we take it as far as we need to take it. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do to protect my child, which is anything. If the government was coming for them, I'd go to another country. I'd go underground. If this was happening, you know, if someone went to take them, I, you know, I'd kill them or I'd shoot them or I'd trip them or whatever it is you're going to do. You, know, you would do these things. But chances are, for those of us who've had it happen to us, the scenario will be nothing like any other scenarios you ever ran in your head. Yeah. And you do have to think about the fact that um, if it's something like a parental abduction where you've got a divorce and someone's taking the child, if you kill that person, you're going to jail. You will never get your child back. That's right. And so it doesn't matter how much you feel like that. There is a line there you can't cross. And the same thing when your child's taken into foster care illegally, so a medical kidnapping or should someone making you know a false allegation, take your child into foster care, you can't hurt or stop those social workers or the police officer. Mm-hmm. You will be in jail. You will mm-hmm. not get your child back. Yeah. yeah, that's very good counsel. You're talking about a tremendous amount of um, strength for the parents. We, we need to have the big 30,000-foot view ourselves of what our real goal is yeah. before we start acting yeah. out and doing stupid things. 
We're talking today with Marie White. She's the author of a book called Strength for Parents of Missing Children, Surviving Divorce, Abduction, Runaways, and Foster Care. You'll find that wherever you get your books or through her website, mariewhiteauthor.com. And we'll be back with more on Licensed to Parent right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? Help My Troubled Teen. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. And again, we're talking with Marie White, author of the book Strength for Parents of Missing Children. This is uh, part two of our conversation with Marie. She was on last week's program as well. If you missed that and would like to hear it, go to our website, licensedtoparent.org. Marie, uh, when your child comes up missing, and it's clearly not through uh, anyone they're familiar with, and it's not a government agency, uh, how do parents know if or when they should spend every waking moment searching for their child? I mean, that's got... We have a a runaway from here every once in a while at Shepherd's Hill, and and that's our biggest uh, hurdle. When do you stop looking and uh, just give it to the police? And we've we've never lost one, but... Uh, that's the only way I can identify with what a parent would would be going through. When do you go to sleep? When do you? You tell me. I don't know. Well, and that's that's exactly what I take parents through in the book. Is I take them step by step so that they can have the guidebook that none of us ever had. It, it's a matter of basically you have to put yourself on a schedule, and you have to make sure that you do the things to take care of yourself so that you can continue to search for mm-hmm. your child. 
spending 12 hours a day on the internet, glazed eyes and hurt back and not eating and sobbing all the time and, you know, barely getting any work done or not getting into work and losing your job. These are all scenarios you cannot do. And so you do have to carve out time to make sure you take care of yourself so you can continue to fight for your child. And that includes things like your mental health. Um, it, it includes being grateful, doing things like putting yourself on a laughter diet, which is the last thing you feel like doing, but you have to. You have to have the endorphins or you can't continue looking. What kind of diet did you just say? A laughter diet. I thought so. Yeah. A laugh- you, okay, gotcha. Yes. You actually have to make sure that everything you put into your mind is um, either from God or something that will make you laugh Beneficial. because you have to get your body to a mm. place that it can continue searching for your child. And for friends of a parent of a missing child, uh, what are some of the do's and don'ts uh, with respect to insights or encouragement? Definitely do not tell someone that their child is not coming home. And you'd think that I wouldn't need to say that, but we were told that many times. It's not that people don't care when they say that. It's that they're so tired of watching you hurt as you wait for your child and hope for them that they will say things to try and break you out of that hope so that they can stop watching you be a brokenhearted person. So it's not meant in a mean way often. It's just careless. So just don't say it. Don't say they're not coming home or don't say they are coming home. You really just don't know. And at that point, we're so sensitive that anything you say can hurt us. If you say, you know, I remember somebody saying, you know, your child's never coming home. And I just stood there dumbfounded. And God luckily gave me the insight to just let it go. And that person became one of our biggest supporters. Uh, Within a week of that, someone came to us and said, you know, your child's coming home. And I just wanted to scream at them. How do you know? Mm. Yeah. You know, told me that the problem was me, not them. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, our bad situation has put them in a bad situation. I, I, I dealt with that. I, yes. So we got to have a little grace too. But how have you best used Scripture to help yourself through the grief process? And how would you suggest other people use Scripture to help people go through the grief process that have lost a child? I cannot tell you how much it meant to... to you, you don't sleep the first couple of years. You hardly sleep at all. You, you do your best to sleep. But... Um, to get a text in the morning or in the middle of the night when you're up one of the millions of times praying, to see a text from a friend who says, um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was praying for you and your child. Mm-hmm. Or sends a scripture, you know, I was woken up in the middle of the night, here's a scripture that I just felt like God wanted me to share. Mm-hmm. You will never know what that will do for the parent of a mm-hmm. missing child. Wow. So how much should bereaved parents expect their friends and extended family to have their lives interrupted or burdened with, with our child's search and recovery uh, process. Because it would be easy to get a little, you know, disillusioned that, well, you, you actually have to, have to go to work today? My kid's missing. Right. right, and that's how you feel. I mean, honestly, I felt like everywhere I went for the first couple of years, I felt like, you know, the, the cashier at the, at the store needs to know my child is not here. I'm shopping, and I don't know how I'm doing it. This is unbelievable. Why is the world still turning? But again, so much of it, and that's again why we have the book, is about training ourselves on how to handle a situation like this. We need to give other people grace for not reacting the way we think they should when we're in an altered state of mind. And those people, we need to ask them, you know, please give us grace because we are going to act in a crazy way by, you know, telling people things like that that they don't need to hear or thinking things like, how dare you give me hope? When our our thoughts and emotions are just everywhere, it's just a matter of giving each other grace. Yeah. 
And, and, and what can parents do when, when, when they suspect the police aren't really as diligent as they need to be in searching for their child? Uh, that is a really common problem. And luckily, we have the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, started by John Walsh and his family, mm-hmm. and they are a great organization, that as well as the Polyclass organization. If you look up missing children organizations on Google, they will take you to these places, and they will take you step-by-step step through the best things that you can do. Mm. And speaking of your conversation with the cashier who doesn't seem to know that your child is missing, and you said you want to get the word out, where do things like uh, Facebook and Instagram and whatnot fit into this? Is this, uh, if if your child is missing, obviously you want to sound the alarm with the authorities, you want to, uh, you know, contact these other organizations, but um, is it effective to try to get the word out on social media? Social media is really great for that. We're seeing a lot of success with it, but I will tell people to share things through the official police website. So direct them to that because when you're sending something that's a message from a message from a message, they're not going to always have it updated. So if you, I see because of the Facebook groups that I'm on, I might see 20 or 30 missing children posts per day Hmm. and probably a good two thirds of them have already been found. Interesting. So if you look at, if you want to share those on Facebook, that's wonderful. Click on the link first before you share it. Make sure there's not an update child's been found or, you know, something bad has happened. Uh, also, um, if you're sharing, share it from the official websites. That way things are updated. You can find out more information. Yeah, that's good to know. And if you're the parent, be sure that you are being careful about the information that you share about your abducted child. Yes. You don't want to make matters worse. Yeah. You know, this is not a scripture verse, but it's a, it's a quote from A.W. Tozer. And uh he said, those who God uses greatly, he hurts deeply. And yep. I think that's applied to your situation. I think it's applied to mine. And I want to encourage people who are listening to this broadcast that whatever pain you're going through, um, you know, the pain's a warning sign. And uh, something good's going to come out of it somewhere along the line, even if it's death. I mean, I, I buried my father-in-law, I buried my mom this, this past year. And uh, a lot of good things come out of even... Uh, the pain and, and, and the death of individuals sometimes. And uh, we have to have that eternal perspective, I think. That's what gets us through it. Don't but, waste um, this pain. Yeah, there you go. Marie White is the author of eight books, including the multiple award-winning number one bestseller that we've been talking about, Strength for Parents of Missing Children, Surviving Divorce, Abduction, Runaways, and Foster Care. She's also host of Bible Stories for Adults. That's her YouTube channel, and she's director of publishing for Zombies Press. Uh, The thing that we should probably leave you with is the fact that her goal is to encourage people from a variety of struggles to know that there is, in fact, hope. If you'd like to connect with Marie, find out more about what she is doing, you can find her on her website, mariewhiteauthor.com. And Marie, thanks so much. You have blessed us with your time both last week and this week. Thanks for being a licensed parent. Thanks, guys, for having me. And you'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. There you will also find all of our other programs, the conversations with a lot of folks on a lot of topics vital to parenting and to the parents' teens. You can sign up for our blog while you're there. You can get on the bandwagon to help the work we do continue with your financial support as well. 
You know, as you might imagine, running a residential program for troubled teens is quite expensive, and for that reason, many families simply cannot afford it. We turn away about 600 families a month here at Shepherd's Hill Academy, but you can help. Simply click the Donate tab at the top of the page when you go to LicensedToParent.org. And if you'd like to learn more about the work that we do on a daily basis at Shepherd's Hill Academy and whether we might be a good fit for your family or for someone you know and care about, please click the link to Shepherd's Hill on our homepage. Again, LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trey Simbry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.